Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today, Matt? I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to tell you it was Chris Herndon finding the end zone. I did not have him rostered because Mm. I committed to no longer playing that game, but I still felt, I mean, like a little, I got a little bit of, a a little teary-eyed, like the corner of my eyes filled with salty liquid, and it felt warm, like it was a special pre-Thanksgiving Day gift just for me that didn't even count, but was more about, like, energy and redemption. Yeah, that's a nice uh, throwback take win for you, Liz. I, I dig that. And you and a lot of others uh, on yeah. on football Twitter uh, that have been like trying to get the Chris Herndon hype train rolling since his rookie year. And listen, the good news is this is just a prefix to his inevitable 2021 breakout season when he is, one way or another, no longer playing under Adam Gase. Sometimes, I mean, don't, I see what you're trying to do here and I will not, I will not be tempted Matt Harmon. Not going to take the bait. Nope. Nope. That is fine. I've had my moments with Chris Herndon. We have uh, mutually parted on respectful terms. Um, That's always nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. Let's move ahead to the Sunday early games. One that was quite hyped up was obviously the Falcons at the Saints. I don't know where to begin. I mean, like from a fantasy perspective, Taysom Hill ends up probably a top five fantasy player this week, um, mostly because of his rushing production. But I have to admit, he also could have had a third and then fumbled it away. It it was not a particularly exciting outing. He didn't look particularly good. I, I wasn't like watching it and enthralled, were you? So... Yeah, he's QB3 on the week heading into Sunday Night Football. So, like, yeah, if you played him in fantasy, huge win. Uh, Scores two rushing touchdowns, uh, throws pretty well. Here's the deal, though. I mean, statistically, he completes over 78% of his passes, uh, 10.1 yards per attempt. Like, I mean, Drew Brees dreams about having a 10.1 YPA. Let's Let's just say that. He definitely opened up some more vertical parts of the offense. Like, it's just weird because it's Taysom Hill. And I I personally feel like the discourse around Taysom Hill is like we, strain, weirdly negative. Like people legit hate this guy and think it's like a joke that he could even be a potential future starting quarterback. And I think there's some like obviously like some of the positive praise for Taysom Hill is also weird. Also a little ridiculous when you've got people like in the middle of last season saying that, oh, this guy's you know going to be better than Lamar Jackson, who's about to win an MVP when he gets his chance. So the discourse around Taysom Hill has always been uh, weird. But like I think if pretty much any other quarterback in his first career start goes out and puts up that type of stat line in a win and obviously isn't perfect, no question, like not perfect, but makes some nice throws, keeps the offense moving, and does exactly what you expect a quarterback to do against the Atlanta Falcons, which is to dunk all over them, we're coming out of here saying like, okay, yeah, that was that was very encouraging. That doesn't mean that he's going to be good forever. That doesn't mean he is the answer for the Saints. But I think that coming into this week, like thinking he's you know some sort of a joke or like it's crazy that they're starting him over Jameis Winston, I think also doesn't really make any sense given what we saw today. I think the fact that you're mentioning 
I, I mean, I disagree and I agree at the same time. I mean, the fact that you're mentioning the matchup to me is like, of course you should produce. I'm, I Guess what? Next week, you know who's going to be topping every QB streamers list is going to be freaking Derek Carr because he's facing the Falcons. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is what we know when we face the Falcons. I also feel like I don't think that anyone thinks Taysom Hill is a joke necessarily. I mean, you're right. Actually, there are people who think that. I think that the branding around him, the narrative around him that is enforced and that is continuously reinforced by the broadcasting crew, by Sean Payton himself, talking about him being in like all these different rooms. He's in the tight ends room. He's in the special, he's in the special teams rooms. He's in the quarterback's room. Like when you hear that he is this special, different, gadgety player that is a toy for which a creative mind like Sean Payton can play with, and then he goes out and plays Drew Brees, it's disappointing. Like, you want to see some more um, imaginative, some, some more stuff, right? Like, and I, th- I think that's what everybody, that's when I'm saying it was boring. Like, I felt like... Yeah. There's all this, I mean, even the broadcast they're talking about, like, well, of course he couldn't come in mid-game because he's doing all these things. Well, he didn't do, quote, all those things today. And that's, like, the bummer of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I expected there to be some more creativity and things like that. But at the same time, you could also then argue that, well, Sean Payton clearly views this guy as, like, an answer at quarterback, right? Like, I mean, he's out there, like, taking a victory lap on Twitter, retweeting Roddy White, like, you know, old takes exposing Roddy White for clowning on Fair. them starting Taysom Hill. Like, and hey, look, we we appreciate you, Sean Payton. Take your victory lap. Fantasy analysts have taken r- laced up those shoes and taken a victory lap <laughs> for much less than this. So you're in good company here. But yeah, I think they view this guy as a quarterback. They went out and had him be a quarterback today, and I definitely expected them to be more create like more creative. And I think the way that they're viewing this whole Taysom Hill thing is this is part of the audition process for their future because breeze is out for a long time now like we don't know when breeze is going to be back i could see that if this was like a one to two week situation it's like okay just put jason i mean uh, just just put Jameis winston in there keep the ship afloat whatever but they have Taysom hill in there and i think you know as long as Taysom hill's starting like and he's going to rush the ball 10 times for 51 yards and two touchdowns that's not gonna happen every week but still the rushing's involved he's probably going to be a guy that you want to consider starting as a low-end QB1, probably until he gets uh, put back on the bench. And maybe you don't, if you're Sean Payton, want to roll out all of your creativity, especially in a gettable matchup with an opponent that you know quite well. And so we give him the benefit of doubt. Like, we're, I'm, we're all just, like, kind of talking through this. But this, I, yeah. I would say, from a strictly fantasy perspective and Taysom Hill notwithstanding. Like, if you blew all your fab on Jameis Winston, you got stung. If you picked up Taysom Hill or you had been, I had stashed him someplace else just because it was a two-quarterback league and I was desperate, right? Like, if you Mm -hmm. lucked out, then great. You're right. Especially in two-quarterback leagues, you're going to stream him. I believe they have Denver next week. Um, I think, though, the best thing is seeing Michael Thomas getting going. You see that Michael Thomas is healthier uh, nine catches for 104 yards. You even see Emmanuel Sanders going. And if you watch the game, you know that he he should have had a, four, a 50-yard touchdown, you know? So, like, maybe the presence of Taysom Hill without the Taysom Hill piece of it, but, like, a capable quarterback starts to bring these pieces back to life, whether they're just getting healthier on their own and there's, you know, a little more cohesion altogether. But I think that's something that's positive that we can take out of this. Yeah, there were definitely some uh, laughable throws that that Hill had when going yeah. downhill. But you know that's that's part of the experience. Their, their upcoming schedule. You mentioned it: Denver next week, then they get Atlanta again in Week 13, right. Philadelphia, Kansas City, Minnesota, and Carolina to wrap it up in Week 17. That is a pretty pretty good schedule for a quarterback and all of those players that trickle down from it. Maybe the real story shouldn't be Taysom Hill, but frankly, how bad Matt Ryan looked. Yeah, that that actually like the real it was grim. And I think the real story of the Saints right now beyond I mean, this will be the story because it's just it's it's the quarterback position. It It is is what it is. But the Saints defense continues to show that I think they've sort of exercised the early season demons where Mm -hmm. they were particularly problematic. They couldn't they were having a lot of issues. Um, I do think now that they have sort of come back, um, come back to the be the unit that we we expected them to be coming into the year. 
uh, I totally agree. They also got healthier. Uh, Marcus Davenport being available has given them a big boost than we saw at the top of the season. Uh, we should mention that Julio Jones left early in this one. Calvin Ridley played nine targets, but only five catches. Still just under 100 yards. Um, I was mostly disappointed that Hayden Hurst couldn't get anything going in this one. But um, moving forward, who do the... Literally, let's talk- no, literally nothing. Literally no, nothing. nothing going. <laughs> um, the Falcons, as I mentioned, have the Raiders. So I don't think we can... Like, Matt Ryan has been particularly problematic because he has been bad all season, but he has these incredible elite weapons. They haven't always been healthy at the same time, but are we treating, like, Matt Ryan is kind of like, normally he's a QB8, right? Like, Matt Ryan is a QB8 every damn week. That's what you're doing with him, right? But this this season, like, he's outside of the top 12. Like, he's maybe a QB15 on the regular. Yeah, I think there's just guys with much higher ceilings and more safer, projectable floors than Ryan has right now. Let's talk about horrible quarterbacks and then also discuss Carson Wentz. Because that outing at Cleveland... uh, By the way, I was refreshing throughout FFL, the weather report in Cleveland, because I didn't know... I I thought tornadoes existed in Kansas. That's what the Wizard of Oz taught me. But apparently all of the gusty winds live in Cleveland. The, The miles per hour... Gusts of wind only reached 10 this week, but the rain in Cleveland, (laughs) I guess we're going to say messed other things up. So it was another ugly elements game, but also it was a completely ugly effort from Carson Wentz, who just looks completely lost. You saw Kelsey go to the, uh, go to the locker room. He can't find any protection. He doesn't know what he's doing in like a key moment near the red zone, near in the red zone, near the end zone, he's targeting Elshon, Elshon Jeffrey. Why are you targeting Elshon Jeffrey, who came back in week 10 and missed his lone target then, and you need that guy to get vertical in a key moment for you right now when you've got Jalen Rager, who got drafted in the first round because he's good at making something out of nothing under center? I, I don't understand it. I'm clearly upset by it. You can take over. I I don't want to talk about the Eagles any more than you do. It is bleak right now. I mean, basically the way I'm just going to like, I'm, I've obviously given up hopes that they're going to turn into some sort of normal team. They're a bad team. It doesn't matter what like young, healthy players they get back on offense. They're a bad team. There's something fundamentally wrong here. I think the fact that they have, they just really kind of lack an identity. And you could, I think trace that back to the fact that, you know, Doug Peterson's still there as the head coach play caller, but they brought in Rich Scangarello this offseason. They brought in, uh, they brought back Marty Morningweg from that Andy Reid tree. Uh, they have a passing game coordinator as well. They've just, there's a lot going on there in Philadelphia. They run the ball pretty well, and maybe that's the Scangarello influence. Like, I think the only two guys that I'm really interested in for the Eagles, like right now, it's Miles Sanders because they're still, he, he wasn't great today, but still had 19 touches. Like, you're probably starting him at running back every single week. Uh, Dallas Goddard gets a late, like, garbage time touchdown, but you're probably starting him every single week because he's a tight end that's got a pulse and, like, has a pretty viable role in his offense. But other than that, Fulgham, another one catch for eight-yard game. Forget about it. That's, like, those days are long gone. Jalen Rager, I think, is going to be, like, there's no safe floor and there's a hit-or-miss ceiling. And then you're just back to Carson Wentz as a quarterback streamer that is probably never going to be ranked inside the top 12 ever again. So I'm out on the Eagles other than Sanders and Goddard. Fulgham remains particularly frustrating because while you mentioned he only caught one ball, he had seven targets. It's not like, you know, that's what we preach in fantasy, right? Volume, volume, volume. Well, by that um, strategy, Fulgham should be doing much more. But yes, I love that you said that this is not going to be a normal team. I don't even think, Matt, that they're a bad team. The Jacksonville Jaguars are a bad team, but I know what to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Other than Miles Sanders, you're right. There isn't much to do with with, um, the, the Eagles. And if we're looking at the Cleveland Browns, like, again, another bad team, but I know exactly what to do with them. I'm not, I stopped, we all stopped messing with Baker Mayfield, the wind and the elements yeah. notwithstanding. We all know, especially in his second week from back from injury, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt own this bat. Kareem Hunt also looks so much better with Nick Chubb on the field. We made this point last week. When both of them are there, they're able to do the things that they do best individually, and that just helps the whole unit. 
Yeah, interestingly, interestingly though, in this one, um, Kareem Hunt was like the goal line guy. Like they kept trying to. He only has 0.8 yards per carry. Uh, don't really worry about that because he was used in scoring area so frequently. They finally get him a touchdown. I thought that was interesting that he was like the goal line back over Nick Chubb. But, you know, that's something that could change week over week. I think you probably, I mean, again, the running back situation, like this is, these are both clear cut fantasy starters and uh, Chubb in particular still looks, I mean, still looks so good. So rips uh, off another 50 plus yard run. I mean, that's, he has the most yards after contact continuously. So like, I'm not going to vie away, uh, even though it was Hunt who hurtled his way into the end zone. So you're, you like both of these guys. Um, We talked on our halftime show, speaking of running backs, of Pittsburgh making an effort to get their backfield going after a couple of down weeks. And they did that particularly well in a nice matchup at Jacksonville. Yeah, it was pretty clear that they wanted to get James Conner going again. That was nice to see. Obviously, um, Benny Snell sneaks in there for the touchdown. But 13 carries, it's not great. I still think we need to view the Steelers as the best version of themselves is like a short up-tempo passing game, 46 throws for Ben Roethlisberger in this one, 5.8 yards per attempt. Uh, Deontay Johnson, just a stud, 12 catches, 1100 or 111 yards, uh, 16 freaking targets. I think he has over 80 targets on the year. And we all know that he's been in and out of the lineup. That's wild. Claypool, 10 touchdowns in as many games. Eric Ebron finds the end zone. Uh, Juju's left blowing out someone else's uh, football candles on his own birthday. That's stinks. Birthday candle. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that the best version of the Steelers probably doesn't involve James Conner seeing 20 carries. It's it's probably this version of it. So I think that makes, you know, obviously he's going to bring down the ceiling projection for a guy you know, for a guy like uh, James Conner, but I do think it, it makes a good amount of sense for all these pass catchers, especially Deontay and Claypool. It might also just even things out because I think with the field stretchers available, it makes Conner more efficient, right? Like even if he isn't seeing yes. the 20, 18 to 23 carries or touches per game, even in 13, he's averaging over six yards per carry. He's, we saw him rip off a nice 20-plus long yard run. The matchup obviously has something to do with it, and so maybe you keep that in mind when you are looking at your roster construction and balance with Connor. But I, I don't think you can move away from him. I like that. Thank you for mentioning that Juju left with a toe injury. When we look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, we know, as I said earlier, what bad teams do. Like, Jake Luton has a strong arm. He's going to try to keep pushing the ball downfield. It's going to work sometimes. Sometimes it's not. When you're playing the Steelers, meh, maybe it doesn't work as well. Maybe you fo- <laughs> you throw four picks, and that's just the way it is. But I, I, I am in, I, we said this last week, too. Like, I am encouraged by a young quarterback who isn't getting completely, I don't know, completely flustered. All this is a very tough matchup, and he's still doing the thing that he is confident in. And... DJ Chark only catches four balls, but he sees eight targets. We know his ability. We know his talent. We know that James Robinson remains um, remains efficient, remains effective. 73 rushing yards in this one, and this is what works. I mean, James Conner – I mean, I'm sorry. James Robinson, by the way, almost 100 yards again when you fold in his passing production. Yeah, I think he's still a really safe floor play, and especially yeah. because he's like the only guy that's running the ball for the team. Only running back that has any carries in this spot. Uh, Dari Agungawale, your boy. Good job. Good uh, job. Two, Excellent. two targets. Uh, the Azigbros are happy to see Divine Azigbo out there again with three targets. So, yeah, there's some backs mixing in in the passing game now that Chris Thompson's out of the picture. But still, by and large, Robinson, still a guy that's involved in the passing game. And the only game in town on the ground, that's going to keep his floor pretty secure. Let's talk about Tennessee at Baltimore for weeks, Matt. We have talked about the Baltimore offense, particularly the passing piece of this offense. Um, Marquise Brown, another week that we are expecting a breakout. This is how we do it against Tennessee. Three targets, zero catches. We talked also that, like, let's just shelve that for a second and then talk about the fact that as we did on the FFL halftime show, Mark Andrews started to get going and maybe there's some encouragement available, at least there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Andrews is the guy that going into the week I had more hope for, uh, not just in this game, but also for the duration of the season, because 
it's something that's worked in the past. You would think that at some point they're going to get that connection rolling again. And also like from a periphery metrics perspective, like he has all of the of volume and opportunity metrics that you look for in a top five tight end. So eventually you'd think that variance was going to swing back his way. It obviously did in this spot with five ninety six and a touchdown. So I think Andrews is like, obviously he's not Travis Kelsey, but I'm not sure there's another tight end that you'd rather have other than maybe him and Darren Waller right now. Like, I think those are the, those are the three guys that you actually feel pretty good about. If you're not, if you don't have one of them, you kind of feel lost in the wilderness a little bit. Um, that's really it though. From the passing game perspective, I, I've kind of, you know, the Ravens are, are talented enough. Like Lamar Jackson's talented enough. Um, JK Dobbins, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown in a theoretical perspective. All these guys are talented and explosive enough to just turn it on at any moment. Um, you know, but with the injuries to their offensive line and to other key blockers like Nick Boyle, I just don't think they're ever going to be that team here in 2020. I've sort of not, not to the degree of disgust at which I've done it with the Eagles, but I've sort of accepted that this version of the 2020 Ravens is probably going to be what they are for the rest of this season. Maybe they turn it on in the postseason, but for the regular season, this is just what I expect them to be. You're mentioning key injuries to the Baltimore offense that affected and can and will continue to affect their productivity. On defense, we went into this week noting no Calais Campbell, obviously, and a bunch of other injuries to the defense. I do think it's interesting that everyone is still stunned that Derrick Henry managed 130-plus yards against this defense considering a what he did in the playoffs and b the injuries i just mentioned and see how good um, he is like i had a projected that also i had a projected for like 115 and i thought that was a little bit much but he bested it admittedly his game went into overtime but yeah no i mean that 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 injury situation was key in analyzing the Titans. Like it made a big difference, not just for, it's like, this is exactly what I said on FFL. Like it doesn't matter not to, I mean, it matters not just for Derrick Henry, but it matters for Ryan Tannehill because for right or for wrong, the Titans have continued to be one of the most pass heavy teams on early down. So like if they're going to move the ball efficiently, if they're going to get in position for Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball to Johnny Smith in the red zone or AJ Brown in the red zone and let him just beast through people for the touchdown you're gonna have to they're gonna have to run the ball well so in this spot I figured they could run the ball well it was a pretty decent uh, opportunity to go back to some of these uh, Titans passing game players and also again shout out to Corey Davis who continues to look like he might be a second contract breakout type of guy at this point he has another good game 100 yards 113 to be exact against the Ravens like I don't know if it's gonna be with Tennessee because at some point they'll have to pay A.J. Brown, who I think is like a fringe top 10 real-life NFL receiver. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe someone else picks up uh, Corey Davis and he becomes a starter elsewhere. And it'll be interesting to see if he can develop rapport, because I think that that was something that was sneaky. Remember, he didn't do particularly well with Mariota under center, but he was taking all yeah. of the all of the second-team reps with Tannehill, and they had a chance to, to build some chemistry at the end of last year or throughout last year. And then we were seeing it. We saw it show up at the end of last year. And we're seeing it show up more this year. I still don't know, however, if there is, I mean, again, this game went into overtime. I don't know if there's enough volume on a regular basis to consistently rely on Davis. Yeah, no. And even in this spot, like this would not have been a um, matchup where we'd have recommended to play right. Corey Davis or, or projected him anything close to a hundred yards. So little bit random there. I, I, I still don't think you can really count on anyone in this passing game outside of uh, A.J. Brown. Johnny Smith got hurt in this game. Um, I actually don't know what his status is off the top of my head right now. But, you know, you can, again, he's a tight end with a pulse that gets used around the goal line. Has the most touchdowns among tight ends right now. So you're probably playing him if you have him in your lineup, but you're not, like, <laughs> in love with it. Yep, as Tank said on FFL. I think one of the biggest um, storylines coming out of this week – especially injury-related, is obviously the season-ending ACL tear to Joe Burrow. I mean, you know, Dalton and I discussed this. It feels, like, weird and jinxy and a little bit, like, gross, but I had said, like, I'm a little bit nervous about Chase Young devouring Joe Burrow. I mean, these two rookies, in theory, it's an exciting matchup, and then it wasn't Chase Young did get him, but um, it wasn't Chase Young that caused it. It was Allen 
Jonathan Allen, who um, caused, I suppose, I don't even like that phraseology, like, like th- yeah, th- that yeah, was the yeah. defender. I'm not trying to point fingers or anything. I don't want anyone to, you know, this is a sensitive topic. Um, but I did also think from like a fan perspective, from an NFL perspective, the attitude around Burroughs injury seemed so much different, so much more different than other injuries, and we've seen plenty of them this season, which is a testament to the hope and positivity that he was bringing to a beleaguered franchise. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I feel like it was just such a um, – there's been a lot of gut-punching in, injuries this year. The DAC one, obviously, mm-hmm. is up there. This was not c- quite the same, but the, at the same time, it was also so frustrating because – and this this is also we all saw you can coming. Mo- well that is that's one part of it right it's like you, the Bengals were playing with fire before he went down he had 32 mm-hmm. sacks on the year uh he'd been under pressure on over 100 dropbacks this year like and for Zach Taylor to say like ah oh, it wasn't you know the offensive line wasn't playing that bad it's like oh come on dude give me a freaking break and the most depressing part about this and like yeah in one sense like the Bengals weren't going anywhere this year it's not like they have um not like they had playoff hopes or something like that, but still you want to see your guy out there all year. And I think you can also mold this into a fantasy take too. Another reason that it feels so miserable is because it's like, we're going right back to something we've already seen before, which is Ryan Finley behind uh, this, behind this offensive line in this offense. Like we saw this last year, the biggest difference for the Bengals between 2019 and 2020 was Joe Burrow. Like now Joe Burrow's gone. T Higgins is obviously good and he's in the mix, of course. Um, but, and Jonah Williams uh, has been in and out of the lineup, but he's obviously uh, their only good offensive lineman, maybe. So those two guys are, are obviously positive additions and they weren't there in 2019. But by and large, the biggest difference between these two Bengals teams was Joe Burrow. And now Joe Burrow's gone. And so I think like, the T Higgins thing, forget it. Like ever, ever thinking about counting on Gio Bernard again? No way. Forget about it. Like Tyler Boyd, maybe he'll catch eight passes for fifty yards some games, and he's been productive with bad quarterbacks because that's the type of role that can produce with bad quarterbacks. But still, you hate it. I mean, uh, like the Bengals. I feel like at this point, you kind of have to wash your hands on them. I think you. I I agree with you. Everyone gets a downgrade. I think Boyd has still has a floor, right? Because he can be that sure-handed security yeah. blanket in the slot. I also think that. Gio Bernard, the first of all, Gio Bernard was a waiver wire pickup, right? So, like, you didn't draft yeah. this guy. You don't have a lot attached to him. I still think he has value because of his checkdown ability. He Samaji P. Ryan, like any hopes you had for that turning into something is fully gone <laughs> in deeper leagues. But, but people were tweeting that, you know what I mean? Like, we have to address all of the pieces. Joe Mixon is on IR. It's unlikely that he. I mean, it is a possibility that Joe Mixon will not be back for the rest of 2020. In which case, Gio Bernard has, I think, some versatility and will continue to see those checkdowns. And in a PPR-friendly format, he remains fantasy-relevant. But you're right, everybody gets a giant downgrade. And here we are. And it's 2019 again. Upcoming matchups for the Bengals. Giants, Dolphins, Dallas, Pittsburgh, Houston. Actually, some pretty deep, like, Good matchups in there. Houston in week 16, Dallas, Miami for for Gio Bernard. They're not a very good run defense. Like, there's some spots in there you're probably going to want to use Gio. So uh, maybe because of the schedule, like, they can move the offense decently. You just, it's it's tough. It is tough. Uh, Alex Smith managed to win. Very weird, this, this narrative, right, to see Smith in um, a victorious spot after a devastating injury and then to see Burrow kind of on the other side of things, but a, a younger yeah. rookie option. It was a little bit, there's there's some connective, like, energetic narrative tissue there, but Alex Smith um, doesn't do the 300 yards that we thought maybe he could do after putting together consecutive 300-plus yard passing efforts. Still, my boy Antonio Gibson continues to find the end zone. Maybe it's not perfect. He's still not getting all the looks on passing downs. We're going to be okay with that because he gets the goal line every time. And um, Terry McLaurin continues to drag drag um, Alex Smith into production. Yeah, McLaurin's third in the NFL in yards right now. Um, and uh, Gibson's up there too you know, in terms of rushing yards, he's 16th in the NFL right now. So like 
there this is these two young guys are definitely something to build or build around and probably the, and i was just i was glad to see that like the jd mckissick is your featured receiver <laughs> that was a thing that did not pop up again in this one obviously not the game script for it but still all right let's move ahead to um new england at houston more injury news rex burkhead left this game with a pretty bad knee injury um so James White, who had seemingly been phased out, is probably going to be one of the hottest waiver wire picks this week. He returns to fantasy relevance in his, you know, RB3 flex-ish PPR friendly way. Yeah, I think that he's back in the mix. He was even getting a little involved early in the game before the Burkhead mm-hmm. injury. So that's good news for him. Um, Damian Harris, like, you know, it, 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 it worked in fantasy, like, cause he scored that touchdown. I thought we would have seen more of him, but Houston controlled this game. We talked about on the halftime show, like Deshaun Watson was crushing it in the first half. All three of his touchdowns were in the first half. Like, you know, I don't think new England planned to throw 40 passes in this game. You know, for the most part, Cam Newton was, was pretty good, like nine yards per attempt. Like, I don't think he was the problem for new England in this game. Their defense is just, I hope people still don't think they're good because they're not a very good, they're not a good defense by any means. They, they had a good game against the Ravens, but everybody has a good game against the Ravens at this point. Um, and I wouldn't freak out about, uh, Jacoby Myers. I know he doesn't have like Demir bird had the game in this one, which, uh, I know I didn't see coming Dante Moncrief also, um, I didn't know. I didn't. I, I'll be honest. I, I think I keep a I pretty good track of the squad. league. They didn't. They yeah. didn't know he was on the Patriots. Did not. I know he kicked around with the Panthers a little bit at one point uh, this this calendar year, but did not know he was on the Patriots uh, until I saw a beat writer tweet that he caught a first down. I was like, "What?" But anyways, so that's that. I just for just for the fun of it, and not next week because the Patriots will host the Cardinals. I'm interested in how Izzo is going to develop. I mean, he, he did have a couple of flashes. He's not seeing a ton of volume, but I, I have him in a really deep league um, that is a, a tight end premium league. And so I, I am just interested to keep an eye on him. Again, this is a player that maybe you're just tracking moving forward. If you're doing, if you're playing in Dynasty, if you have a keeper league, because one of these receivers has to, or pass catchers, has to start to emerge as more than part of a carousel. And I think by now, even though he had eight targets in this game, we're not assuming it's Nikhil Harry anymore, right? Like we've seen enough real life football out of him to know that, that that's not going to turn over despite the pedigree and wanting it to happen. Um, So from when you're looking though, at like Cam Newton on a regular basis, were you surprised that he didn't run more in this one, especially given the matchup? Well, I, I just like I said earlier, I think that the Patriots probably expected to have this game be a little bit more competitive than it was. Uh, I, I I feel like coming out of this game, the thing that I, I I have the most feelings about is Deshaun Watson and just how impressive he was. And um, you know, I feel like if we were in a different universe, he would be. We'd be talking about the fact that he's the second best quarterback in the AFC. We'd be talking about him as a potential MVP. But as it is. We're just there's random games like this where the Texans win, but they're still a three and seven team that's lost at sea. I think had their their defense, that being the Patriots, had their defense held up there under the bargain a little bit more, we probably would have seen more carries for Harris, more carries for Cam Newton. But I still think it's better that we are seeing Newton put together some decent passing lines because that's probably the biggest question for him. And you know he doesn't turn into great fantasy performance because he doesn't run all that much, but. To see him complete 65% of his passes at nine yards per attempt with a touchdown. Obviously, that uh, Hail Mary to Izzo that came up 10 yards short uh, was a big reason his passing numbers were so high. But nevertheless, it it was still a pretty good performance for him. Last note on the Texans, um, Randall Cobb exited this one with an injury. I don't think it's a coincidence, although he had been cooking a little ahead of that, um, that Jordan Aiken started to be more featured and the Texans are at Detroit for that Thanksgiving game in week 12. So again, we're Uh, looking at streaming at an ugly position. I think that you have to consider it. I don't like it, right? Nobody likes any of it, but I would keep an eye on Aikens as he is starting to pop, especially if Cobb in a short turnaround probably won't see the field next week. Yes. And you can drop Duke Johnson too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. 
Um, speaking of Detroit, um, wow, they, they they had a game at Carolina. Wow, they suck. <laughs> so we know that Matt <laughs> I just kept thinking, does this mean that the Matt Patricia dictatorship is over? I mean, if someone needs to be liberated, it's all of these Lions players <laughs> from Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia, I mean, oh, oh my God, it's so, it's so bad. I mean, for what, for the Lions are now 13, 28, and 1 since Patricia took over. And they don't do anything well, to be fair. Matt Stafford has been injured. He spent time on the COVID list. He's missed a lot. He's missed a lot of practice the last month. I get it. They're in this game without their two actually good young players, which is Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift. But their defense is obviously terrible. And now there's nothing going on on their offense. The sign tonight, folks, is the Detroit Lions are canceled. But unfortunately, they're not. Because we got to watch them on Thanksgiving. As you mentioned, what a tradition. Uh, Matt Patricia on Thanksgiving. It's just, it's not, not what you want. Hopefully for that matchup on Thanksgiving, though, you are hoping that DeAndre Swift is cleared from concussion protocol. That matchup suits up nicely for him. And you don't have to worry about Matt Stafford throwing the ball. Um, And you don't have to worry about this gross Adrian Peterson, carry on Johnson split while neither of them against the Carolina Panthers managed over three yards per carry. They, in fact, both Peterson and Johnson averaged fewer than three yards per carry. And and they came out like trying to, to establish do that. Adrian Peterson. Right. It's, oh, it's so, it's so bad. It's just like, I can't, there's plenty of bad coaching. There's plenty of like demoralizing teams in the NFL right now, but I, I, there, there's like nothing it, to get shut out 20 to nothing against a team playing a backup quarterback. It's not, I mean, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. <laughs> That's, I don't really know like how else to say it without cursing. And I don't know, saying to saying something horrible, but it's bad. It, the, the Detroit Lions are, are not good. Uh, and I can't wait to until this team gets blown up in the off season. Um, when you're talking about the Panthers and you're mentioning PJ Walker, I do think it's interesting. I mean, it was far from a perfect game. Of course, Mike Davis, Continued. He wasn't particularly efficient, but he continued to find the end zone, be an engine. And it was, interestingly, Curtis Samuel, who last week, you know, it, it didn't work out. But this week, and I talked about Robbie Anderson being a bust this week because I didn't think the volume would be there for him. And when you see DJ Moore getting double-digit targets and you see Curtis Samuel pulling in double-digit targets... And also being schemed in the red zone in touchdown-friendly ways, out of the backfield as well. I just think that there's more going on here than we can continuously project for all three. And now we have to include Samuel receivers. Right. And Samuel was hurt in the offseason. He had some injuries in camp. So maybe that explains why he he came along a little slowly to start the year. Um, they don't play. I mean, they play Robbie Anderson and um, DJ Moore on a higher percentage of the snaps. But yeah, Samuel's in the equation now. It's a trio. One of these guys is going to get left out in the cold every single week. But also like Anderson, the, like I feel like we still have the romantic uh, start of the season Early in season. our minds with him. He hasn't cleared 80 yards since week five. He has just one touchdown on the year. He's been under 50 yards in three of his last four games. Like they've started to use him as more of a closer to the line of scrimmage option. And they haven't had those vertical, like DJ Moore at this point, he's fourth in the NFL in receiving yards at 18 yards per catch. Like he's all the credit to DJ Moore is one of the problems I feel like he's had in the NFL has been, he's not, been a great vertical threat and I thought it was weird that they were sort of using him as a vertical option this year but he's starting to deliver on some of those looks like he did it today again with PJ Walker and I I think Walker this is what you want to see like you said from a backup quarterback aggressive pretty confident he missed some reads every now and again and Matt Rule made the point that like uh you know those goal to go interceptions the two that he had he's Matt Rule's exact quote was in another in a different scenario that would have cost us uh i think what he meant by that different scenario was if he was bad yeah if he wasn't <laughs> yeah. playing the detroit lions that would have cost us but right um 
not a lot going on on the other side of the field. But yeah, so I, 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 this is a trio now, and obviously at some point McCaffrey will be back in there. We know he d- demands passing volume too, so I don't want to hear too much complaining about DJ Moore because he's actually not the most disappointing Panthers receiver right now. That would be Robbie Anderson. I think that's a great point. I also think that this is when uh, Sigmund Bloom often says that you can be half right because roles change and evolve as they develop throughout the season. And when you're talking about Robbie Anderson being more uh, being played closer to the line of scrimmage, it lines up with the fact that heading into this week, he only had eight red zone targets total on the season. So if you're looking for those higher value targets, they're not being sent his way. Um, you know, and we'll see. I, I'm imagining that Teddy, if he almost played this week, will be back under center, under center next week. But we shall see. Um, let's move along to the Sunday late games. This one was exciting. The Packers at the Colts. And Aaron Rodgers um, is the grumpy old man leaving the game this week. Yeah, this is a... a, a- pretty wild game and you know the Packers defense remains a huge problem uh if they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC which obviously they hope to be they hope to compete for that number one seed but the Saints you know Taysom Hill notwithstanding seem like they probably are the favorite to grab that that number one seed depending on how things go with Green Bay but like yeah I mean it's just it's tough right now to, to watch the Packers defense they can't um they cannot stop the run I mean Jonathan Taylor actually ran all over them today four yards per carry 90 yards on the ground 22 carries like and they just they bust a lot of coverages now and they don't rush the passer well like remember last year when we're everyone's just singing the praises of Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and like you know Zadarius especially a guy that was like in defensive player of the year type conversations last year that duo has not not been the same not been as effective this year uh, another classic Mike Pettin operation uh, to to not stop the run and your players typically aren't getting better within your scheme. Uh, but, you know, we might not be having this conversation about the Packers losing this game if Marquez Valdez-Scanling doesn't have um, just one of the worst fumbles I've ever seen uh, on a screenplay in overtime. That's where I wanted to go because last week we talked about not chasing MVS's points especially with the potential return of Lazard. And obviously Lazard returned. He wasn't seeing a full complement of snaps by any means. He only drew four looks. I'm interested to see when the snap counts come out. I haven't seen them yet for this game because we're just recording now, right after the game. Keep talking, I can get them. Oh, really? I'd like to see how that looks because I think also when we fold in the piece about Aaron Rodgers having his guys and we know that Lazard even look it's Thanksgiving time like Lazard Thanksgiving the Packers this is all working together I'm gonna move him up um the depth chart and I'm not gonna continue to try to focus on Scantling and Tanyan finds the end zone in this one but um Devontae Adams is good and I think it's the same thing we've always said about this offense which is it's Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and then whichever one of the ancillary players gets lucky, gets lucky, and have fun projecting it. Yeah, uh, Alan Lazard, 36 snaps, 22 routes. MVS, 51 snaps, 33 routes. I'm going to go ahead and guess that that flips <laughs> next, yep. starting next week. And the Packers have who next week? The Bears. Oh, lovely. Oh, on Sunday Night Football, more Bears. Yeah. Terrific. <laughs> As for the Colts, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor. I think the thing I was most most excited about was not the rookie running back, though, but was the rookie wide receiver. You and I both adore Michael Pittman. The breakout happened last week, so I hope, and it got buried because it was on Thursday night. I hope everyone is along for the train now because it continues to happen. Only three targets, but 66 yards, converting all of those. Why do we like Michael Pittman? We like him, right, Matt, because he is reliable, because he has good hands, because he is physical, because yes. he is confident. And right now, Philip Rivers don't got none of that in the receiving core. Yeah, I mean, just looked really smooth, too, on that 45-yard catch and run. And, like, I don't know what the hell – again, I don't know what the hell Green Bay's doing, defense is doing on that one. That was tough to watch. But at the same time, that's Michael Pittman being a playmaker. He is a playmaker. I expect that to continue. The Jets, uh, what? let's go from playmaker to playmaker, baby. Let's talk about the Jets at the, <laughs> at the Chargers. Yeah, well, Den- uh, Br- I mean, Br- Rashad Perryman and Joe Flacco, the, the Ravens stack of old, finally pew, pew, coming pew, pew, through. Pew, pew. 
Uh, and two weeks in a row, we can't we can't say that it didn't. We uh, we yeah. saw this coming. Also, we knew that Adam Gase was calling the plays again, not because the broadcasting crew was saying it, but because Frank Gore was getting the ball. Now, admittedly, the Michael P. Ryan didn't yeah. go did go out in this one with an injury, but I was like, is Come on. Also, Frank Gore is getting the ball a ton, and so now we know that Adam Gase is holding the clipboard again. I'm sure he was pretty heated on that Chris Herndon touchdown, too. It was like, well, I need that to be to my third-string guy that's uh, 35 years old, which doesn't exist, but still. Are you thinking that Frank Gore could be a stream again if P. Ryan, I mean, given the P. Ryan injury and next week's matchup, which is um, against the Dolphins, so pretty exploitable? It's a revenge game. I mean, Frank Gore has a revenge Jeez. game against, like, everybody in the league. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially every time he – all the division games, too. He's played for every AFC East team except the Patriots, which, you know, means next year he'll be getting 30 carries for 85 yards for uh, the triple option Patriots. Just be patient. Justin Herbert To answer your question, yeah, pro- probably. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, Justin Herbert remains a stud, 366 yards, Three touchdowns. It looks like he is not Samson with that haircut. Yes, uh, which is good to see because obviously the haircut was a tilting experience. Um, for I don't know if it, yeah, we don't need to get into all that again. But the biggest thing that Justin Herbert has done is helped remind everyone that Keenan Allen is an elite receiver. 16 catches today. He leads the NFL with 81 catches now. Also leads the NFL in targets. He's top 10 in yards. He also has uh, he had 19 targets in this game. That's unbelievable and awesome to see. Also, by the way, Allen will probably, uh, I would say, unless disaster strikes, hit his career high in touchdowns, which is eight, all the way back <laughs> from his rookie year. So, like, Keenan Allen is probably, despite playing with Phillip Rivers all these years, is probably having the best season of his career here with Justin Herbert under center, which I guess isn't all that surprising. Kalen Balazs also continues to be the team's RB1. He did not find the end zone, but he remained a top, let's see, by the end of this week, he'll probably be a top 25, somewhere between the top 20 and 25 fantasy player at the position. 16 carries for 44 yards. More interestingly, seven catches for 27. That's what we like to see. Why are you laughing? Uh, uh, because this is nine targets for Kalen Balazs. What a time. You've nailed it, by the way. Uh, RB20 right now. As, we're, t- as right. we're talking in the middle of Sunday Night Football. Well, let's talk about Caleb Balazs' former team, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they traveled to Mile High. And Tua Tonga-Vailoa, if we're looking at the biggest headline coming out of this one, was benched in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who brought that YOLO style back. I mean, nobody like I, I have to imagine that Devontae Parker was like, yes, let's go, when he saw yeah. Fitz walk onto the field. Yes. I mean, probably that's the, that, that is, they're such a perfect stylistic fit for each other. Um, yeah, no, I mean, weird though, right? The whole Tua thing, I, I guess. And, and it, I thought it was injury related. It looked like he got pretty banged up at one point, but then, you know, we have Brian Flores say after the game, like, yeah, I, I pulled He's him for performance reasons and he will be the starter going forward. Obviously it's just all about like holding people accountable. So I guess Flores thought he's playing poorly, like just pretty trash out there. And like the numbers would obviously back that up. Still seems weird to pull your rookie quarterback uh, in the middle of a, what you hope is a playoff run and, and potential chasing the division title. Uh, but this was a just like overall discouraging performance. It's not, it's not totally surprising that a rookie quarterback quarterback gets cooked up by a Vic Fangio defense, but still. Do you think that it was triggering for Vic Fangio to see Brian Flores do that while Drew Locke was still on the field? Yeah. Vic's like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> do that. I, I wish I could do that, but John Elway would uh, come down and beat me up in the middle of the game. Uh, if, if I did that and, you know, John Elway was positive a little while ago. We don't want him near me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure, like I said, I, like you said, like, sorry, like you said, I think Vic would love to pull Drew Locke, but he can't. Well, he tried at the top of court? last year. Remember? He was like, no, we're not, I don't like it. I don't like it. During the preseason always, last year, he was like, no, he ruined him. Every, every time like Drew Locke is discussed and like the fact that people think he stinks and I mean, he does stink. So I get it, but I always remember Vic Fangio just being like, I'm not playing that. I'm not playing that guy. I'm not going to go down with that ship. And then, um, 
he, he get, does eventually play him. And now we're right back to Vic being right about that one. Grab your life jacket. Um, Miami's backfield, because we mentioned it a lot on last week's episode and heading into this week, Salvan Ahmed remains the RB1 in this one. Wasn't as efficient as last week, didn't find the end zone. But again, the thing we love from running backs like Balaj, like it or not, and Ahmed is their um, versatility. 12 carries, so double-digit carries is great, but more importantly, six targets, converting five of those for 31 yards. That's enough to keep Ahmed inside the top 25 fantasy producers at the position. On the other side of things, you got Melvin Gordon scoring two touchdowns, fumbling a third, looking like kind of bad at times, but it doesn't matter because he continues to just get these incredible goal line opportunities. Yeah, that's another one that I'm like, I can't believe they're still putting up with Melvin Gordon. Like, he's got the most lost fumbles in the NFL, I think. Tied with Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I just wanted to note your your point on Ahmed was is crucial because that was my biggest question with him coming out of last week was like, you know, he got way, in terms of the routes run, like way outpaced by Malcolm Perry last week. Uh, 22 routes in this game. That's pretty crucial for him uh, going forward. Do you have any notes on the um, on the Broncos receiving core? Tim Patrick goes back to no. – Stud status, KJ Hamler doesn't see double-digit targets after two straight weeks. It's kind of a mess. I, I mean, I th- isn't I feel like the analysis here is that all of these receivers can do something, but they are hamstrung by the talent that they have available to them under center. I think you said it perfectly. Well, thank you. Let's talk about speaking about being hamstrung by talent under center. Dallas at Minnesota. It's a perfect segue. Um. So Andy Dalton, Dalton Del Don and I, when we did our preview episode, kind of talked about how maybe Dalton, Andy Dalton, was being underestimated coming out of a bye with all because because the backups had been so bad and the COVID jokes and Zeke having a hamstring issue and could in this matchup there be some fantasy goodness and Andy Dalton had like not a bad game. Passing yardage was not particularly abundant, but he did find three pass catchers in the end zone. Dalton Schultz was one of them. Thank you very much. Um, and he showed like, it's, it's interesting. Tell Well, I want to hear your thoughts because CeeDee Lamb obviously showed that he is an incredible talent. And we always knew that the way he laid out for that touchdown pass. But I do think it's interesting that Gallup and Dalton seem to have some nice rapport with one another. I just don't think it's ever going to come to consistent fruition. Yeah, I mean, the highest target total in this game is Amari Cooper uh, on the Cowboys side, uh, who leads. I think that's you can, you can expect that every single week, but sure. seven is not very much. So, yeah, there's not going to be a ton of volume. They still want to be a run first team. Zeke finally gets his first 100-yard game of 2020. Shout out to you, Zeke Elliott, with that big old contract. I think Dalton started slow, but looked more comfortable as the game went on. Uh, obviously ends up with three touchdowns. Made some back-breaking like, mistakes early on, but it was encouraging to see him finish pretty well. He's still, you know, despite the fact that I guess he can't taste uh, or smell because uh the after effects he's dealing with COVID, but down down the end zone three times today great Kirk Cousins passed for 300 and also scored three touchdowns but Dalvin Cook remained the engine of this offense 27 carries again he did get a little bit knocked up I, I, I I'm sorry not knocked up let's change knocked up, up. Um, he, <laughs> he did get a little shaken up but returned it wasn't a big deal if you're if you have Dalvin Cook you're smiling until you know inevitably he gets hurt yeah, and Kirk Cousins, uh, like I was sort of wishy-washy about like how Andy Dalton played. Kirk Cousins was awesome in this game. Uh, every time, you know, I, I looked up, he was throwing pinpoint passes, very accurate, on the move, down the field, whatever. And right now, he's like, it's tough to think of who the best wide receiver duo in the NFL is right now because there's a lot of good duos out there. You know, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockin, DK Metcalf. That would probably be my pick. You got the Tampa Bay duo, Mike Evans, Chris Scott, and obviously AB is there too. But Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, that's a tough, uh, you know, group to defend because Thielen is kicking this team around all day. And then Jefferson, finally, after going pretty quiet, 
gets behind the defense, dusts the slot corner for a 39-yard touchdown later in the game. I mean, just a great duo there. And really, there's not much else going on in the passing game other than those two guys and Dalvin Cook getting his five catches on five targets today, too. And we love that narrow usage tree. Scott Pianowski says it all the time. We're going to echo him in those sentiments. Uh, Monday Night Football is yet to come. We're talking about narrow usage trees. Uh, I don't really, it doesn't apply to Tampa Bay anymore. <laughs> you think this game, ha- you would take the over on this game, right? Like, you think this one has sh- a sh- shootout appeal? I don't agree with you, but... You do? I think it has shootout appeal. I also feel like I can go back. I can argue both sides of the point there. Um, but I do think the, the where these defenses are, are weaker, where you can attack them. I feel like those the opposing offenses, especially L.A. against the Tampa Bay defense, I think there there's some good strength on weakness matchups for the offenses. And obviously for the Bucks, like, theoretically they should go out and play that way every single like the way they did against Carolina I know mm-hmm. Carolina is not a good defense but they should play that way every single week like AB looks like his old self Gronk looks like his old self Evans and Godwin are getting healthy and they're getting you know in sync with Brady uh the running game is really good when it's on schedule with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette's doing whatever he is uh as well so like Theoretically, that should be enough that, yeah, okay, if you like, we can get the ball out quick so that Aaron Donald doesn't mess with Tom Brady. We should be able to, you take away one of our guys with Jalen Ramsey and, and their other corner, Williams, is a good player too, but like, we should still be able to find spots. So I think this game has more fantasy appeal. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions like, would you play Robert Woods or Antonio Brown? It really depends on like a ceiling floor debate because I think Brown doesn't have a great floor, has a great ceiling, whereas Woods along with all of these Rams guys, really doesn't have a great ceiling, but they all have pretty good, safe, projectable floors. I just don't see... I mean, we have... Jared Goff barely cleared 300 passing yards against the Seattle Seahawks. I just don't see a situation in which Jared Goff can be trusted enough against this defense to continuously put on... put up points enough for Tom Brady and the Bucks to want to chase hard. Yeah. We'll see, and then in that case, then Ronald Jones is a, is an excellent play on Monday night mm-hmm. because if, if if the Bucks are able to control the game or keep it close, like the Rams are okay with letting you run on them, and Jones has shown that when the script is right, he can do that. Jones also, I believe, went to USC, so maybe homecoming there's, narrative. Um, well, it's in Tampa Bay, but sure, there's there's uh, yeah. some SoCal. Connective tissue there. Um, you're in SoCal. You also have to can finish writing an article tonight, so you're not done for the evening. Do you want to tease it as you always do before we go? Yeah, I, I kind of expand on my thoughts on Taysom Hill that we talked about um, in the, in this one. I also ta- also take kind of sort of a thirty thousand foot view of the last two wide receiver classes because. Right now, like, this 2020 class has been everything it's billed to be. You know, we had Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb on the same field today. Chase Claypool scores again. Like, this class is deep, and it's really good. But let's not forget that, like, the stars of tomorrow and today have come so far. And this could be a different conversation a year from now. But so far have come from the 2019 wide receiver class. DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin are, like, all top 10 receivers in the NFL right now. Metcalf and McLaurin have the season long numbers to um to to have that case. I think Brown just the injuries there. And Johnson's like not far behind those guys too. There's been some busts from that class, no doubt about it, so far. But it's it's really interesting to compare those two classes and to think about where we'll be, you know, three years from now or something like that. So check that out, Matt's views. Um also check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports college podcast with dan wetzel pete thamel and our friend pat 40 you can follow us on twitter at yahoo fantasy i'm at liz loza underscore ff that's at matt Harmon underscore byb one more thanks to planters andy and scott we'll be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups until then we out and get ready for a weird schedule next week we're gonna have lots of content for you to download over your holiday weekend
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.